We are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 38 today. In 1939, George Danzig enrolled as a doctoral student at the University of California, Berkeley. And he, his purpose was to study statistics. I didn't even know they had doctoral programs for statistics, but I guess that shows how little I know. On one occasion, George got to his class late on the day of the exam. The exam had already started when he came in. He grabbed his test paper, turned it over, and began to take his exam. There were eight problems on the exam. And um, George had prepared well. And he uh, got through all eight of them. And he thought he had done really well. Then he noticed that there were two problems uh, written on the chalkboard. I, I, rem- I reminded myself to say chalkboard because a lot of people don't know what a chalkboard is when you say board. And uh, so he worked on those two problems on the board. And he was one of the last people to leave the building when he finished. And he turned his paper in and he left. And those two problems really troubled him. He just wasn't sure about them. And he was very concerned about getting only 80%. Later, days after the exam and after the exams were graded, George was visited by his professor, knocked on the door, Dr. Jersey Naaman. George, he said, you have just made history. George didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Dr. Naaman explained that before that exam, he had told the class, he wanted to encourage them. He wanted them to know that sometimes math is really, really hard, and there are some problems that are unsolvable. And not to worry, but just keep working on things and keep learning and keep studying. George had solved both problems never been solved before. Albert Einstein could not solve those problems. And here George had done what was humanly impossible. He Later he would make contributions to mathematics, operations, research, computer science. Who knew what computer science was in those days? Economics and statistics. He did what we view as humanly impossible. In our passage today in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, it's about that which is humanly impossible on a much bigger scale. So let's look at that. And I want to read this passage, uh, and I'm going to be reading from the 1984 version of the NIV. Hope you uh, have a Bible or a uh, smartphone. And this is found on page 715 if you grab one of those Bibles. And I just want to encourage you, make sure when you come in that you have something to look at, a scripture. Bring one or grab one when you come in. And um, Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26. And here's what Luke records for us. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, 
Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so the holy one to be born will be called the son of god even elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age and she who is to be barren in her is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with god i am the lord's servant mary answered may it be to me as you have said Then the angel left her. So there's an outline in your program. would encourage you to follow along. First, uh, in verses 26 through 30, we see that God sent his messenger with a new announcement. Remember last week, this messenger, the same one named Gabriel, went to a couple uh, in the land of Judea named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem, and the angel appeared to him there and announced that they would have a son and they should name him John. And remember, Zechariah was a little troubled, uh, wasn't sure about this, and and um, he wanted he asks more questions, and so. Um, the angel gave him a sign, because you didn't believe, you will not speak until the birth of this son. So, uh, the time and place, verse 26, it's in the, remember that Luke is an historian, and think, look at the details he gives us, so we can uh, really pinpoint what's happening here. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember at the end of our passage, she went into seclusion for five months. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth and the town of Galilee. Uh, And let's just look at that map. I knew that you wanted to see the map. And so um, up in the north, you have that little lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee. That's where a lot of uh, adventures happened in in the Gospels with the disciples. And um, right off to the left, that Galilee, there's a Sea of Galilee, and Galilee is a province in the north. It'd be like kind of a large county, or uh, at this time, uh, maybe a really small state. Actually, Israel's like a state, size-wise for us. But Nazareth is a small town, maybe 400 people in the first century. Now, we had been down in Jerusalem, go down south to Judea. Judea was a province or a kingdom in the southern part of Israel. And this whole area here is kind of the land of Israel. And then you can see it's on the map. In reality, it's only four miles away, Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem isn't mentioned, but you know it's, it's coming. So 
There's about 70 miles from Jerusalem to, to Nazareth. So Gabriel had been in Jerusalem at the temple, and now he's up at, at, uh, at Nazareth, and he's come to speak to Mary. Now, this is amazing because God has not spoken for 400 years. At least there's no record of any revelation of God for over 400 years since the book of Malachi, maybe 450 years. The unexpected parents, verse 27, uh, God sent Gabriel to a virgin pledged to be married, a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was married. So, as many of you know, this couple was pledged to be married. And in the first century, to, to be pledged to be married is more than what we, we would call an engagement today. People who are engaged today, they want to break it off. They just say, I'm sorry, I've changed my mind. And it's done. Or they just put on Facebook, single, and it's done. <laughs> Not so in the first century. Mary was pledged to Joseph. Their parents had made a contractual arrangement. Mary and Joseph were in on this. They were legally bound to be married as a couple. They they were not married. They were not living together. They were not to have sexual relations until their wedding day. But Gabriel appears to Mary, who is pledged to Joseph. Joseph is a descendant of David. uh, David was a great king in Israel who lived about 900, 950 years earlier. He's a great king. Many promises were made to David. And Joseph is a descendant. He's in the lineage, the family lineage that takes him all the way back to this great king. There's a surprising counter, verses 28 through 30. The angel uh, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This is a pretty impressive greeting for God who hasn't spoken for 400 years. And, and, and he sends Gabriel to speak for him. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You would probably wonder too, what, what, what's going on here? What's happening here? This is an angel. He just said, I'm highly favored. Uh, I'm not sure what's, what's going down here. The Lord is with you. This is a really high compliment. Verse uh, 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Kind of an encouraging thing that every time an angel shows up, people tend to be pretty nervous, fearful, afraid, and... Um, as I mentioned, uh, sometimes when angels show up, people die. And uh, Mary just has some questions about this. And she was troubled at the words. And so the angel brings comfort. You have found favor with God. Mary, you have been especially chosen by God. You know, favor means grace. Um, Grace is unmerited favor. God's favor is on Mary. And um, this phrase, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you, has brought a great deal of focus throughout church history. 
and some um, unbiblical information and perspective has come out of this. Just want to comment on it uh, just a minute. Um, there is a particular church that takes this. There's a lot of ways this could be translated. This isn't necessarily the best way to translate it. It's a greeting, Hail Mary. That would be, we don't say hail when we greet people. That would be King James Version to Hail Mary. Uh, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Depends on your background, how many times you've heard that. Full of grace. The Bible doesn't really teach that Mary was full of grace. There is a church that teaches that Mary was full of grace. She was a dispenser of grace, means she could give grace. And because of that, they taught people to pray to her, to pray to Mary, because Mary, they said, is close to her son, and uh, she can take your prayers and bring them to Jesus and get answers. You know, moms are close to their kids, right? And there is a church that teaches that Mary dispenses grace and that you should pray to Mary to get answers to your prayer. And I just want to say there's nothing in the Bible about ever praying to Mary the Bible teaches us to pray in Jesus' name and him, him alone, no one else. Okay? Um, so, Mary was highly favored. Mary was a choice ser- servant of God. Mary was a godly young woman, probably a, even a teenager. Mary is a hero to our faith. But she's not full of grace. And she's not a dispenser of grace. And she was favored because God just picked her to be the one who would, who would give birth to her son. Um, let's go on. God's messenger announces the birth of God's son. We still have more to develop here. Verses 31 through 33. Instructions to Mary. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. So, she will become pregnant. Pretty big deal for a teenager not yet married. And uh, this is going to change her life radically. Mary, as we'll see in this passage, is a really humble servant of God. And she is going to be humiliated for being this person, for being humble and receiving this. You will give birth to a son. So this is going to be a little boy. And you will give him the name Jesus. The name is already picked. A little bit overwhelming for a young woman. To know she's going to become a mom. She's not yet married. And then we have a prophecy about Jesus in verse 32 to 33. He will be great, which is probably a little bit of an understatement. Um, On a scale of 1 to 10, how great? 10 plus would probably be an understatement as well. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, I don't know what you think of that. When Mary heard it, she probably just melted. She knew what that meant. The Son of the Most High. The Most High was just a little bit... uh, 
Shorthand. That's what I was trying to think of. Shorthand. See how far away that... How long, how long has it been since somebody has used shorthand? It was shorthand for the Most High God. Everybody knew what the mo- who the Most High was. This child was going to be the son of the Most High God. Well, that's just not a child. And it's not just a son. It is the son. And Mary understood that to be the son of the Most High God meant that he was equal with the Father. That's never happened. Because the son was equal in value to his father in her culture. And she knew exactly what it meant to be the the son of the most high God. And then um, Gabriel goes on to say, And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Now Jacob lived in the 19th century before Christ, the 18th century before Christ. And Jacob... Little history lesson here. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're called the patriarchs. They're the fathers of the Jewish people. Um, Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob's sons would become the 12 tribes. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. The 12 tribes are the nation Israel. So we're talking about the nation here. Um, that he would reign over Jacob's descendants, over the nation Israel. And uh, his kingdom will never end. This son is going to be giving a kingdom that will never end. Um, And then it says that he will be given a throne that is a kingship of his father, David who lived in the 10th century before Christ. So this child is a descendant of David. It's appropriate to say that David was his father. That was was language that was understood in ancient Israel and in Hebrew, that uh, being a descendant of David meant that David was the father and uh, that, that this child would be a son of David, a descendant of David. And um, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. So this is a prophecy that goes back to about the 8th century, 9th century before Christ. 10th century would be better. 10th century before Christ. This is spoken by the prophet to King David, the king of Israel at that time. David was a great king. And God made a promise to him. And God said to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, that means when you're dead, by the way, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So God says, I'm going to raise up offspring who are going to be kings. But there's a particular one. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Well, Solomon did that. Solomon built the temple of God in Jerusalem. And so there's a sense here where Solomon fulfills this part of the prophecy. But there's more than that. God has been building a temple in the New Testament we call the church. And God's name is on it. The body of Christ. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
That's just not your ordinary king. This is beyond a human um, limitations for kings. Uh, a forever king. And uh, we're getting some clues about who this child is going to be. David was given this prophecy. David knew, and, and uh, God's people in the Old Testament knew, this was a reference ultimately to Messiah, the anointed one, the holy one, the promised one, the one that everybody was waiting for, who would fulfill promises and ultimately deliver them from their enemies. This would have been an exciting concept. Um, I would imagine it would be huge, overwhelming information for Mary. Um, And so, uh, thirdly, God's messenger brings further clarity to his announcement. Mary has a question here in verse 34. Mary's question is different than um, Zechariah. Zechariah, he's just not sure. He's, He's short on his faith here. He's not sure he could trust what the angel said. Mary's not questioning what the angel said. Mary just wants more understanding. Uh, she, she, she get, okay, I'm going to be pregnant. I get that. How's that going to happen? I don't know about this. And she says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. There's a problem here. Everything I know about babies is they come from husbands and wives together. I do not have a husband. How can I become pregnant? Good question, Mary. Mary is saying she's a virgin. Let me just be clear about what that means. Because one, in throughout history, there's sort of been some wild interpretations. The whole context here is Mary has not had sexual relationships with, with a sexual relationship with any man. That's what that means. Um, the answer comes in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You're going to have the Son of the Most High? Well, the power of the Most High God, this is going to be a miracle. This is going to be from the power of God. Uh, This is going to be totally unique. Never happened before. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. God's power, Mary, is going to be on display through your body. And, you know, some people are going to have a hard time believing your story. And some people are going to be laughing behind your back. And your family is going to experience some humiliation because of this. And I don't know what Joseph's going to think. And so Mary learns the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the whole, here's the reason why. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is just not another baby. Babies are great. This is very special. Because the father of this baby is the Most High, and it is not Joseph. There's going to be a miracle conception. The power of God is going to conceive this child, and the child is going to be human because of Mary. 
and have God's nature because of how the child was conceived. It's a miraculous conception. Let me make it clear, though, it is not an immaculate conception. It is a miraculous conception. Uh, the The immaculate conception is a doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church that teaches that Mary was a virgin all of her life and had no other children. The doctrine also teaches that Mary had no original sin and did not sin. And and the point of that was that's the only way she could have been appropriate to carry this child. And then you have a big question after that. Well, who had the ability to carry Mary if she was sinless? Was her mom sinless too? And was her grandmother sinless? And on and on and on. The Bible doesn't teach that in any way. Mary was a godly young woman. She was the servant of God. She is a hero of our faith. She was not sinless, and she was not a virgin forever because the Bible says she did not have relations with a man until she was married. And then what we find in Matthew and Mark are the brothers and sisters of Jesus whose mother is Mary. And... um, This was a miraculous conception, not an immaculate conception. Isaiah 7, 14 uh, speaks of the miraculous conception. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And even the name Emmanuel, we learn later, means God with us. This is the unique child, God with us, God in human form. In theology, we call this the incarnation of Christ. He is fully human and fully God. The only unique person like that ever, okay? And uh, this is about eight centuries before Christ, and God's people knew this was coming. They didn't know how it was going to be fulfilled or when it was going to be fulfilled, but this was, they knew the scriptures, way better than us. And they were looking and watching for things to be fulfilled. Confirmation, verse 36 and 37. And Gabriel says this, and this is to confirm to Mary. Uh, This is a sign, a a confirming sign for Mary, Mary that a tangible work of God has happened to encourage her. And that is, Elizabeth, your relative, perhaps your aunt, who you know and love, who was older and always wanted a child, Gabriel is saying, she's now six months pregnant. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Wow, that's news to Mary. Something's going on here. Wow, this is going to be exciting, and I don't... It's going to be amazing. And verse 37, Gabriel says, For no word from God will ever fail. And that's absolutely true. No word from God will ever fail. When God says he will do it, he does it. 
When God makes a promise, every time he keeps it. Even the promises he's given to you, he keeps it. Now, I'm a little partial to the 1984 version of the NIV. Maybe you've heard me say that. That's the version I read this morning. And it says in the 1984 version, nothing is impossible with God. I love that. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, God never goes against his character when, when we say nothing is impossible. He, he never um, maligns who he is. Um, he would never do anything immoral or evil. He would never be dishonest. He would never deceive. That goes against his character. Nothing is impossible for God. God can do whatever he wants to accomplish his will. Nothing is impossible for God. Verse 38 is a most amazing response from Mary. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This is perhaps the godliest response in all the Bible, or at least one of them. And it's from a young woman, a teenager, by the way, teenagers. This, and God worked an amazing thing through a teenager. And he still does that, by the way. I am the Lord's servant. Mary is the Lord's servant. Here's a question for you. Are you the Lord's servant? Mary knows who she is. Mary knows who God is. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the lover of my soul. He's the all-wise God. He is holy. He is totally just. He is loving. He is full of mercy. He is righteous. I am the servant, and He is Lord. She knows who she is. and She likes who she is, and she likes that she knows the Lord. Mary is ready to walk into the future because she is the servant. She knows God's word. She knows what this prophecy means. And she will follow her leader because of who he is. And it's something that every Christ follower should do. Is to follow the one who is our Lord. So let me make, uh, recommend four lessons to you. First lesson. You may be surprised who God sends to speak to you. You may be surprised by who God sends into your life to speak to you. To get your attention. Say something simple or profound. God sent Gabriel to Zechariah. God sent Gabriel to Mary. They were both surprised. God sent Gabriel to Daniel. God sent angels in various times to people in specific circumstances. Once God sent a donkey to speak to Balaam. Don't, don't ask for a donkey. 
you may be surprised who God uses to speak to you. It may be your wife, guys. It's the last person you sometimes listen to. Or it may be your husband's wife. It may be your kids. It may be a coworker. It may be a next-door neighbor. Maybe one of your fellow classmates. It may be an unbeliever. I remember when um, I was 25 years old. Back then, at that particular time, I uh, was an atheist because I had majored in philosophy and I was thinking I was kind of smart. And I decided that God wasn't relevant or real. I didn't need him because I thought people who talked about God used him as a kind of a crutch. They kind of leaned on him instead of being able to handle life on their own. And um, about this time, God had sort of began getting my attention in little ways. And I was kind of opening up a little bit to spiritual things. And on one particular evening, we were at friend's house, Sue's friends, not my friends, but I was willing to go because they were Christians and they wanted, I knew they were going to talk about Christianity and wanted to talk to me if they got a chance. And I was, you know, pretty bold. And so we spent uh, several hours talking that night about Jesus and who he is, what he did done for me and how God wanted me to trust him. And um, so this is, it's about 2 a.m. There are seven adults in the room. And my six-year-old daughter, Tina, is still awake at 2 a.m., and she's over in the corner on the floor playing. And so we kept going over this problem of faith, what is it, over and over. And I said, what is faith? Kind of flustered at this point. And my daughter, Tina, got up from the corner, came over, walked right up to me in my face, and said, Dad, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6. And she walked back and sat down. Now, that didn't answer the question to what is faith. But I got it right then that if this Christianity thing is real, then God intended my daughter to be able to understand it, even though she's six. And here I am trying to figure it out, and I am not smart enough to intellectually comprehend this. And I... Just It was just that step toward, i got to pay attention more here. I'm missing something. And then it was like the next 30 hours that I did place my faith in Christ. I wasn't expecting my daughter to speak to me and that God would use her to get my attention when she was just six. Don't be surprised who God sends to speak. Secondly, God sometimes chooses unlikely people for significant service. God chose Mary, humble teenager. You know, she was not from a wealthy family, not highly educated, not from high social standing. You know, probably just a lower income, lower economic, simple servant of God. But God chose her to be the one to bring forth his son, Jesus Christ. God just doesn't pick beautiful people or smart people or people who have it all together or 
people who are wealthy or come from the so-called best families, God uses humble people who want to follow him. So, are you and I humble Christ followers like Mary? She's our role model. Third lesson, remember nothing is impossible with God. God can do any miracle he wants. He will accomplish his will and his plan. He can bring a miraculous conception. And he wants you and I to trust him. No matter what. God is, wants to carry out his plans. But let me just clarify here. They are his plans. And it's not his job to carry out our plans. Can you be okay with that? It's his plans. And you can ask God for anything. He will never contradict himself or do anything evil or deceitful or immoral. But do you want what he wants? Or do you want him to do what you want? Fourthly, submit to God however he is leading you. Submit to God however he is leading you. The key is, is how is God leading you? There's probably something in front of you that he wants you to do. Step of obedience. An attitude adjustment. Something about your speech. Something about your behavior or lifestyle choices. Maybe it's your money. He wants you to be a little more generous. You know, maybe it's a sin issue, private sin issue that he wants you to deal with. Submit to God however he is leading you. And follow Mary's example. Um, Romans 12, chapter 1 and 2. Chapters 12, verses 1 and 2. We've, we've looked at this passage many times. It's so crucial to a Christian's life. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is just a Christ. This is for every Christ follower. This isn't for super Christians. This is for every Christ follower. Offer your bodies. Well, so that's, that's your physical. That's all your body parts. It's asking more. It's asking you to give yourselves totally. Present yourselves totally to God. All you are and all you have. Your stuff everything. Present it to God. He's God. He's the Lord. He's our leader. He's our master. We are the servants. Offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. That's what they did in the Old Testament. To be alive and to live sacrificially, holy and pleasing to God. That's how God, when you offer yourself totally, it's to God, it's holy and pleasing. And he is greatly honored by your sacrifice. Uh, this is your true and proper worship. Now let's go on to verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Well, the pattern of this world is all the temptations out there that we struggle with or that we face or that we know are there. 
Now, not everything in the world is bad, but the struggle is out there. Don't conform to those temptations, but be transformed, be changed. Allow God to mold you by the renewing of your mind. It's going to be an ongoing process. You know, I'm going to need to, I, I, I just, every once in a while, I just like to align, make sure I'm in, aligned with the Lord, that I'm under Him, that I'm not out here trying to do my own thing, that I'm submitted, fully submitted to Him. He is Lord. I like to tell myself that and tell Him that, and that I am not. And I renew my mind by reading scripture because it's living and active and it's, it's a, it spiritually nurtures my soul it, and it renews my mind. And my walk with God, this processing one day at a time, I have to talk to him. I have to tell him what's going on. I have to tell him what, what I'm struggling with or what my problems are. I need to confess my sin or I need to ask for his help and his strength. And I renew my mind. And I can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's another way to talk about this. Then you will be able to attest and prove what God's will is. What's God's will for your life? Nothing is impossible with God if it's God's will. And how do you like to be when you know I'm right in God's will, I'm walking right along, and I'm seeing God at work, and I'm moving toward what God wants? I'm pursuing what God wants. What is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Mary is our hero. Nothing is impossible with God. You and I should follow our leader. Let's stand and let's pray together. Thank you, Father, uh, for Mary's story, for how you used her. How she was prepared, even though she didn't know what was going to happen, that that she had become your servant before she was approached. And even though she was young, her heart was ready. She was fully and totally committed to being the Lord's servant for whatever he wants, for whatever he would ask. I'm grateful, God, that nothing is impossible with you, that we can count on you for all things. Lord, help us to grow, each of us, wherever we are, whatever we are struggling with, whatever step we need to take to obey you. Help us to take those steps today, tomorrow, to have our minds renewed and plot a better course for this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.